What's good? Welcome back to Black and Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, an award-winning author, two-time Emmy Award-winning producer, publisher, all that good stuff. So it's April, National Poetry Month. So this month, I'm bringing you a bunch of dope poets and spoken word artists. And I couldn't think of a better way to start this month off than with my friend, Ebony Payne English. She's the author of the poetry collection, Secrets of Ma'at. She also has a graphic novel, The Random Happenings, and is the creative force behind a new album, Kuangoza, which is out now on all streaming platforms. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend, Miss Ebony Payne English. She is a nationally acclaimed author, performer, playwright, and educator from Duval County. She is the first woman to establish her own chapter of the international poetry organization, Black on Black Rhyme, Bag Talk, and is a founding member of the board of directors of Southern Fried Poetry, Inc., which produces the largest adult regional poetry slam in the nation. As author of the graphic novel, The Random Happenings, as well as the award-winning poetry collection, Secrets of Ma'at, Ebony has been featured in several esteemed publications, including the Florida Times Union and PBS's Hometown series. In her 17 years of professional experience, Ebony's performance accolades include the New Orleans House of Blues, Essence Festival, New York Reeking Cafe, and Crossroads Theater. She's got receipts for days, y'all. Ebony serves as the executive director of the Performers Academy, a 501c3 arts education organization in Jacksonville, Florida, and has also taught invitational workshops at the University of North Florida, the Tupac Amaro Shakur Center for the Arts, Morgan State University, HBO's Brave New Voices, and more. Ebony has six studio albums, including Kuan Goza, which dropped March 28th, and again is available on all streaming platforms. In this conversation, we discuss Ebony's devastating diagnosis with an illness that stifled her creativity for three years, how she began writing to save her own life, how Superman Returns inspired her forthcoming play, The Goddess Experience, and how she stands whole, empowered, and complete in her gift as a spoken word artist and MC. Black and published family, welcome Ebony to the show. Ebony, thank you for joining me on Black and Published today. I appreciate oh, it. No, it's an honor and a privilege. I'm a fan of being Yes. So we're going to jump right in. My first question is always, you know, when did you know that you were a writer? Um, probably when I was about seven years old. Um, and that's because, like, uh, I was making poems, like short poems and stuff. And um, someone took notice and said, oh, you're a writer? And I was like, "Who? I had never considered that before, but I've been writing things down that rhyme since I was four. Uh, when I learned to read and write, that was like the thing because all of my books rhymed. So I thought that when you wrote things down, they were supposed to rhyme. So that's just how I wrote things down. 
But it wasn't until I was seven years old that somebody was like, oh, you're a writer, you're a poet. And I was like, oh, I like the way it sounded. And I was hooked ever since. And you've been hooked ever since because you have got albums, you've got poetry books, you, you're doing this for the community. So was there ever a point where you did not want to write and tell stories through your poetry and your spoken word? Yeah. Um, that was like one of the lowest points or the hardest points of my life. Um, to be honest, I, um, when I was diagnosed with HIV, um, I didn't want to talk about it. I was ashamed and, uh, it was a stigma and a trigger for me because my favorite cousin uh, had passed away from AIDS when he was 19 years old and I was 10. And so uh, my, my first instinct was to automatically shut down um, and pretend it wasn't happening uh, and try to like live my life as if it never happened. And the casualty of that was my work. I wasn't able to write because um, writing is my coping mechanism. And if I wasn't ready to cope, I wasn't able to Mm -hmm. write. And that's the longest I had ever gone without writing a poem. I think I went, uh, I think I went three years without writing a poem, without writing a short story, without uh, working on a play. I didn't write anything uh, for three years. How did you feel not having that go-to support? Because I know, like, as writers, usually when we don't want to talk it out with people, we can we can work it on the page for ourselves. But you took that away for, from yourself. So, like, how did that make you feel? Suffocated. <laughs> like, uh, my dreams had been choked out of me. But I wasn't ready to talk about it. And I, st- I wasn't ready to talk about it. But the way my pen works is you know what I'm saying we're gonna talk about this Ebony like that's that's what it is for me is we're gonna talk about this and um and so because I wasn't willing to do it 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 it, it just wasn't working for me and that's not to say that I wasn't um performing because I was I was able to pretend like nothing was wrong because I write so much I write every day so I was able to pretend like nothing was wrong because I had so much material um, that nobody ever noticed that I wasn't writing. Um, only my friends knew. And that was because every time I have a new poem, I'd be like, hey, I wrote something new. You want to hear it? Here we go. Um, and I hadn't done that. And I was sad all the time. And a lot, you know, a lot of people just didn't notice I was uh, having trouble with alcohol and like I was very functional as an alcoholic. So like nobody ever knew nothing was wrong with me. And that's when the the saying take on your strong friends, like that's what that comes from is because no one ever knew something was very wrong with me, that I was uh, severely depressed, severely suicidal on a uh, drunken binge and Mm. not writing. (laughs) And, uh, the day that I wrote again, the first poem I wrote was uh, the what became eventually became Secrets of My Eye and what um, from there maturated into be a play called On Purpose. And it was about my diagnosis with HIV. 
And once I did that, it was, I was fine. I was, it was okay. It was 7 a.m. It was um, in the middle of winter in Chicago. (laughs) I was like, enough already. (laughs) Enough already. You know? (laughs) And I I wrote the poem and uh, I've never been back to that place. And I'm grateful that I never have to feel that way ever again. But that was like one of the most difficult times of my life when I wasn't writing. I know when I was reading through Secrets of My Eye and I got to that poem where you finally admit that you have this diagnosis, I I, I put the book down. I was like, mm-mm, nope, she's too honest for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, mm-mm, I'm not, I'm not going here with Ebony today. <laughs> because like there, there are things that you know about a person, but it, it's different to read it and process it in their own words. So yeah. What helps you process when you're not writing? Yeah, I um, I would say art. I collect paintings and uh, clothes, fashion, like couture, um, because it it makes me feel bright colors make me feel better. I can't really explain it. <laughs> if I if I look up and there is a beautiful picture it doesn't even have to take form. It could just be splashes of paint. Um, I think like people don't really understand why I Rembrandt was such such an enjoyable artist, um, but it's because of the emotion that the colors provoke. And only someone who is like able to to heal from color therapy would really get it. Um, and I'm color therapy works for me. So uh, painting, visual art uh, is a healthy coping mechanism for me. I surround myself with it. I cover my walls in art uh, so that if I'm ever feeling um, away and I don't have my notebook or my laptop, um, I can look up and find God somewhere. Mm. And uh, fashion wise, it's like, at least I don't look how I feel. Eventually I'll begin to feel how I look. And so I collect couture items and um you know, put them in my closet. And when I'm having a rainy day, I just put one on. <laughs> I love that. Oh, gosh. You said, you know, look how you feel and you can see God reflected. I know you went from On Purpose, which was the show, to doing the five-part five part series show. We're still waiting on part five. Damn Corona. <laughs> <laughs> How did you connect spiritually in the time that you weren't writing and then find it again and come back so hard on the mic? During those three years, I, um, well, during that time, I actually was able to, uh, I I met Mahogany Rose's father, um, whom I, I fell madly in love with. And, uh, he himself is like a very powerful person. Um, and so I wasn't really functioning. I kind of, and this is how we lose ourselves in relationships. Like, well, I can speak to my feminine experiences that um, I buried myself in a, a very powerful man who needed motivation, some motivation and some love. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. I met a man who I thought could move mountains, could do wonderful, wondrous things and take over the world. And then I 
I I poured myself into him until I disappeared. And I pretended to be smaller than I was. Like he had no idea who I really was because when he met me, I was coping. You know what I'm saying? And so he had no idea who I really was. Um, and so to him, I'm sure I seemed very small. And uh, that's not his fault. It's my fault. Uh, and then one day I snapped out of it. And when I snapped out of it, you know, he didn't really recognize me. And um, we weren't really able to find common ground. But of course, by that time, um, Mahogany Rose had already been conceived. And so, you know, that's where we found ourselves. But truthfully, I didn't cope in a healthy way. I didn't see a therapist like I should have, like I do now when I have those moments. Um, I found a man to love. And I loved him more than I loved myself. Mm. And I just, you know, spent my time doing that, doing that. And he benefited from it. And I got to see the fruits of that labor. And I, I'm blessed because of it. Um, and ultimately, you know, I have Mahogany Rose to show for it. And she's incredible. But it created a distance between us for him to, you know, wake up one day and I'm nothing like the person he met, you know, even though I feel like myself, like I know I was myself this whole time. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard to explain. Like I was me the whole time, but I wasn't writing. I was drinking heavily. I, you know, I, I, I was, I was just not myself. And then I, I, I stepped out of it and, you know, sometimes men uh, take pride in rescuing a young lady, mm-hmm. um, especially someone as gifted as I, who you would never imagine needed rescuing. And then one day, I didn't need saving anymore. I found how to, found out how to save myself, and uh, it, it conflicted with a lot of. Uh, just a lot of societal tropes and a lot of gender roles and a a lot of different things that we've been socialized to believe should exist between a man and a woman. And eventually it got in the way of us having a healthy relationship. Um, But yeah, I did. I, I wish that I had uh, been cognizant enough and brave enough to seek therapy, but I did not. I, I sought love, which heals all things. And it did heal me. And it did give me one thing I can say is, you know, I, I would not have been able to conquer my alcohol, alcoholism had I not been, been in that relationship. Mm-hmm. He found it unattractive and I wanted him. I needed him to find me attractive. And so I stopped drinking. Um, I had not been able to write a poem. You know, he loved me courageous enough to like address what was happening to me. And I was able to write that poem, you know, but it's just like I, once I once I knew who I was, like once I was able to accept and forgive myself, then there were some things that I had accepted from my romantic partner that I would never have accepted had I been mentally and emotionally well. And um, and that's that's where we we came to it. And sometimes those are the trade offs when you heal. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's yeah. like he helped heal you and restore you to yourself. And then when he met you as your full empowered embodied self, it was not what apparently he wanted. Like he didn't feel empowered anymore holding my hand is what happened. Mm. As he need he also needs to feel whole, complete, and empowered. Okay. But when I st- stood up, you know, I'm a giant. And I'm not being arrogant, but I'm I just I know the gifts that exist within me. I'm a giant. But at the time that he met me, I had fallen. I was wounded. I was hunched over and bleeding. And he helped me heal. He patched my wound. And when I stood up out of that hospital bed, you know, um, he had no idea. And he felt smaller than I had presented um, him to be, you know, and 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 that is all internal. And that he you know, I pray that he he finds his way of healing on his own. But I it, it caused conflict to the point where I just wasn't able to like be there um, because, you know, we had a daughter and there are just certain things that I just, I don't believe should take place before her eyes. And so, you know, we had to separate and I pray that he's doing his healing because he absolutely played an integral role in my healing. Um, And that was a part of life that I had to learn. And that's actually what part five is about. It's called the goddess experience. And that was what part five was about was, yes, I had this HIV diagnosis. Yes, I struggled with alcoholism. Yes, I was depressed and small and felt horrible and stupid and alone. But there came a man in my life and he loved me. And he loved me in spite of it. And then we had a baby. (laughs) And, you know, he's not involved in her life physically, financially, or vocally, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, by phone, text, I don't even have a phone number for him, you know? And that is hard because I've never loved anyone more my whole life, you know? And I know that that man loved me. Um, and I wrote a play about the things that, that happened. And li- like everybody's journey is their own. He has his own journey and his own demons to chase. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, my pregnancy resulted in him relapsing because um, he he had conquered his own addiction. Mm. Uh, and that's how he was help, helping me to conquer mine is because he had already done it. He was five years sober when we met. Um, and, you know, during my pregnancy, he relapsed and uh, I wasn't able uh, because of mahogany rose, I wasn't able to assist in his healing. Uh, and, uh, you know. Because you had a whole baby to raise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it seems like this, like, he healed you and then you get the poem that reveals your diagnosis. You get the book, Secrets of My Art, and then you do the one woman show on purpose. And yeah, all of he that. He was there. He was, he came. Right. And all, I, I remember you guys, because I don't think you knew you were pregnant then, or maybe. No, I didn't know. Right. I didn't know. On purpose. I was like, I don't think she knew she was Everything pregnant. Everything was still then. rainbows and, and, and star, star shit. Right. <laughs> and then I remember after <laughs> the closed, 
came and a few months later came the big announcement. I remember all the pictures. Yeah. And I was like, oh snap. Like she did a whole she was whole pregnant. Yeah. I yeah. actually got uh, I went to the 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 um I found out about my nomination for the Cultural Council Awards, uh, which was in May. The day after On Purpose closed in Jacksonville, I went to DC because it was going to DC. I went to DC to prepare for opening that because eventually it was going to Broadway. And I got sick on the airplane. I've never gotten sick on an airplane my whole life. This is what I do for a living. Um, and so I knew that was strange. And I was so wrapped up in the play that I didn't realize I had missed my period <laughs> <laughs> until I got sick on the plane. And I was like, wait a minute. When's the last time you had a period, every period English? And that's and that's how I found out I was pregnant in a restaurant bathroom with my best friend standing outside the stall in DC. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you had up until that point, you had still been touring because you do all your work with Black on Black Rhyme yeah. and Southern Fried and working with the kids. And yeah. so I don't. I always feel like I pre- I present a public face and a private face, and depending on who I'm talking to, it depends on which face you get. And I feel like when you talk about you know you went three years without writing, but you were still performing. No one really knew you were presenting a public face that the person closest to you didn't even see. So what was the reaction to on purpose when he came and saw you in your full in your fullness? of who you are performing and telling these stories. Yeah. He received it. He understood. He told me, I accept this. I accept this. Um, He cried. Told me, I accept this. Um, And you're beautiful. And, you know, like, but the next day I found out I was pregnant because he came closing night. So he came on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I found out I was pregnant on Monday, but I was already in DC, you know. Um, and I wish that I could say something different, but nothing was ever the same. The moment that I told him, we were never the same. Mm-hmm. We have never been the same. We have never been able to to meet back in that place again. We have never. We have never been able to come back together, um, even though we tried. But he missed every doctor's appointment. Um, it it was just a lot. I, I only had a 22% chance of surviving my pregnancy because of my illness. Um, and so they, they gave me the option to abort her. Um, but she was healthy. She was fine. And she was in no danger of contracting HIV because I was undetectable. Um, and I was on my meds. And so it was just my body just, just being tired. You know what I'm saying? I had just been through so much. My body was just tired. And so I said, if we could just get her here safely, I'd be straight. You know, I could go. I've, my dreams have already come true. Anything that I've dreamed of doing in life, I've been able to do, I'm blessed to say, except travel the world. But my poetry has been all over the world. And so that still counts um, for me, you know? So I was at a resolve of just get her here safely. 
and let me be, you know what I'm saying? And so Mm -hmm. um, I went through that and, you know, he wasn't capable of being there because it's an illness. Just like I have illness, it's an illness. He wasn't capable of being there. He wasn't capable of understanding that I might die, you know, having our child, you know what I'm saying? And um, it was just a lot for him. He wasn't able to maintain his sobriety. And then when um, when Mahogany Rose was six months old, uh, he ended up uh, leaving her home alone uh, because of his addiction. And so uh, I left it. I never came back, which, of course, did not set well uh, with him or his family. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't we just haven't been able to co-parent ever since. So. You know, that that is part of life. Like, I don't have all the answers. I'm a teacher, you know, and I work with uh, specific my specific area of expertise is uh, traumatized teens and uh, foster youth. And so, like, I don't and I I still I'm still unable to, like, uh, find my way through the troubles of my my own interpersonal relationships. Um, because I was not ready. I just wasn't prepared that it's a lot of maturity that has to take place that I just wasn't a a level understanding. I I don't have, I still don't have, I'm still seeking help. I'm still in therapy trying to figure out, well, how do I, what do I, what's right and what's wrong, you know? Um, And truth be told, like, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. Like I, I've, for instance, I've been an adamant, uh, adamant, you know, uh, supporter of um, eradicating domestic violence, you know, and I may be oversharing, but this is just my story. This is my journey. You know what I'm saying? Um, this is what I write. I, I'm, I'm an honest writer, you know, um, but my daughter's father, I put I put my hands on, you know. And he, he did not strike me back. He attempted in vain to restrain me. And uh, the the people that, that witnessed it, they called the police on me. You know, and my, do- and my daughter was present. But it was a level of maturity that I wasn't able to. All I know is you put my daughter in harm's way. You all I me. know is, you know what I'm saying? You're not showing up the way that. I need you to show up. And if you were able to show up for me that way, I feel like you should be able to show up for her that way, you know, but the thing with an addiction is that person cannot even show up for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not even showing up for themselves. So it's a, it's a unrealistic expectation. I know that now, you know, thanks therapy. I know that now, you know what I'm saying? But at the time I had no more control over myself, the level of, Disappointment that I felt, mm. anger, hurt, um, mommy instinct. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like <laughs> it was just overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? And so now I have to look at myself in the mirror and know that that was wrong of me. That I have to somehow restore that and repair that. You know what I'm saying? That like uh, he'll forever remember that. You know, someone that he showed so much compassion to. And care so 
so much for, you know, had no brick wall when it came to how angry they were able to get. Mm. I had no brick wall. And that's something I always tell my students that when you love someone, there should always be a brick wall between them and your emotions. And if it gets too intense, that brick wall of love is going to stop you because this is someone I love. Mm. I cannot take it that far. And that was the first time I had ever experienced the lack of that boundary. And um, I don't even know how, like, I don't even know how to like, I'm still learning to love and forgive myself for that because that's also something I'm sure, um, you know, will affect my daughter when she gets a little older is the, the understanding that that did happen. It is true. So. And did all of that then go into the writing of, the God, the God experience. The experience yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, and you know, it's all about the idea of celebrity, the concept of pedestals, pedestals. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The, um, the ego, the ego. And also, uh, the plight of the single mother and how all of the black women I knew that were single moms when I was growing up never told me how much it hurt. They went to work. They picked up their kids. They showed up for basketball practice. You know, it, I get, you know, I get choked up just even think about how effortless they made it seem. You hear me? Yeah. Polly. So when I was having a hard time, when I was like, why can't, why can't we just make it work? Why can't he just be here? You know, when I was devastated, like, you know, why you got my daughter out here lacking for something? That's how I felt. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's not true, Mahogany Rose lacks for nothing. You know what I'm saying? It felt like you got my daughter out here without a father. How could you? I took it very personally. How could you? You know, um, I never, I, I, I never asked for him to, to, to take the condom off. I did, I didn't even know he'd done it. He did it all on his own, you know. And um, I, it's hard for me to reconcile that he wasn't here. You know, because all the black women I knew were just like, you know, we do what we have to do. Just handle your business. Just keep going, girl. And I was like a mess. I wasn't okay. I was not okay. You know, and some days I'm still not okay because now she's talking and now she's socializing and now she's asking me questions, you know, and now she's saying things like, I want my daddy. You know what I'm saying? And and now she's asking me, where is daddy? You know, can we call him? You know, and how do you tell your three-year-old, I don't have your father's phone number, baby? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But uh gratefully, her grandpappy, his father is in her life, you know, her sister, she has three sisters from his previous marriage, and they are in her life, you know, but even that is hard to reconcile because they were able to grow up with him. And so one day she's going to grow to understand that they know him, that they've been yeah. around him. Yeah. That they've communicated with him, that they have things that he's bought them. You know what I'm saying? Like, even that is like, it cringe. I cringe because I don't, 
I can't protect her from life, from her own realities. You know what I'm saying? And she's on her journey, just like he's on his journey. I'm on my journey. Mahogany Rose is on her journey. And I cannot protect her from the things that are going to uh, be aiding in her character development on her journey. And a lot of things that aid in character development are painful and disappointing and shocking truths, you know. And as her mother and her strongest, strongest cheerleader, I don't want that for my baby, you know, but that's the, that don't stop that from happening. It's not going to help. So I have to get myself together and stop taking everything so personal and um, realize that the reason why the black women in my life never told me how bad it hurt is because when you get to talking about it, you know, you're doing what I'm doing, crying and snotting and, <laughs> and want to crawl in the bed under the covers and go to sleep for the rest of the day. And they can't afford it because the kids depend on them. And that is the goddess experience. Everyone depends on you. The mother of creation cannot take a day off because she got children who are hungry and thirsty and hurt and happy and performing and soccer practice and a full-time job and bills, <laughs> you know, and, 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 she just didn't have the time to sit down and say, Ebony, this is hard. She didn't have that moment. And so I wrote a play for her to honor that and to say, this is all of our moment. This is a collective experience. And it was inspired by uh, Superman Returns and um, Lois, you know, had a baby by Superman and had to raise him by herself, you know. And then Superman finds out that he, her baby daddy, and then leaves Earth, leaves the planet. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, he feels things will be better this way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and I'm like, wait a minute. Superman is a deadbeat dad. Superman. Superman. The, the poster child of superheroes, okay? America's sweetheart is a deadbeat dad. And no one is mad, outraged, pissed off, angry. Like nobody's like throwing tomatoes at the TV, the movie screen. I, I, it upset me. It upset me. And that, that's how I started writing this place because absolutely, Mahogany Rose, her father, Superman. His, his, his last name is even hyphenated. He's uh, Moorish American, so his last name is Bailey L. And Superman, um, his last name is L. You feel me? <laughs> so it was like a very direct. You were triggered. I was super triggered. I was like, why ain't nobody tell me this was going to happen? You could have just said, Ebony, this was going to happen. You know what I'm saying? I would have been more careful. Okay. <laughs> so but like, do you, part of it. Yeah. you have been so honest in this interview and you are just as honest when you write with your pen as you are when you are delivering your work on stage. Do you ever feel a way about being that honest? Like, oh shit, I didn't said it now. <laughs> well, that was the issue when I wasn't writing for three years. It was because I was afraid of being that honest because I was taught that that's not glamorous, that's not professional, that it's unbecoming, that nobody would come to my shows, that nobody would want to be around me, that I would be exposed, you know? And people held it against me, hmm. my truths, M my whole life. You know, there was somebody feeling like they had one up on me because they knew a secret about me. 
because they knew the things that I had been through in my childhood that maybe were were shameful or embarrassing. You know, um, they seen my uncle down to the stove tricking or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And they they held it held it against me. You know, try to throw it up at school to bully me, or it, you know, in a conversation to like make me seem less than. You know, and it was in the moment that I wrote that poem that I realized that true freedom is being able to be honest with yourself. And as a result, it empowers you to be able to be honest with others. Nobody can tell my story but me. And if I don't tell my story, other people are going to take their own liberties with my story and their renditions of it. And the truth is, everything's not perfect. What I have to figure out is perfect balance within my own life and the things that I go through, you know? And the thing is, I'm honest with people. So me and my my child's father have had this conversation and I've apologized to him for the harm that I've done. And I apologize to him that I wasn't able to stand with him the way that he had stood with me, you know? But I also stand firm in the fact that Mahogany Rose is more important than my loyalty or any debt that I owe him. And her safety is my only job right now, is to keep her safe, to keep her in a stable environment and to be consistent with my love and respect for her and her, her growth and development, you know? And, uh, and so I'm able, that empowers me to be able to be honest with anybody about it because, you know, he knows exactly how I feel and he knows where I stand and he knows that when he's ready, you know, I'm, I, me and Mahogany Rose are here, you know, for him to be involved because we do need him. He is needed and he is necessary, but he's got to go on his journey and, and get to a place where that is healthy and safe. And we are able to communicate and we are able to be on the same page and we are able to co-parent so that we're not traumatizing our daughter because we got adult things going on, you know? And so that's the discovery I made. And that was the resolve that I came to with, with the goddess experience is that, you know, I get to tell the, the story of all these different women, you know, that all, all single women, single mothers that had their own life going on. Some of them successful, some of them impoverished, some of them, you know, uh, are, are, are their, their husbands passed away. And that's how they became single mothers. Some of them, you know, it just didn't work out. Some of them, they were the villain, you know. Um, but it, it, it's all about the child and about a mother's connectivity to not only the child, but the entire universe because of the womb, because of the, the responsibility that is given to you during pregnancy. And so I'm, I'm excited to be able to bring that to the world. COVID has prevented me from being able to push that through. But during this time, I've got a chance to process my own junk that I wasn't even, I didn't even know was still there, you know, because if I'm going to talk about it, I have to be safe. And so I don't talk about things until I'm ready. So I'm not always honest when I'm still healing. Mm. I heal first. And then I tell the story so that somebody else can get their healing from the story that I told. Like that, that's the, that's my process. So what has it meant to you to have gone through all of this in the last three, four years? 
um, to to write the poem about your, your diagnosis, to create the collection and write the book, to do on purpose, to go through another traumatic experience and then to come back and do this five-part series that will one day culminate in the God's experience. We gonna find a way to do that at, da- uh, at Daly's Place, first of all, because it's outside. <laughs> <laughs> We, we need to get on the phone with Shad Khan and Mark Lambin <laughs> so that we can be safe, socially distant outside and you still be on the stage. That's what we need to do. <laughs> like, how how do you feel with, with all of the accomplishments that you have, the published book, the, the shows, the graphic novel? Because we haven't even gotten to that. I, um, <laughs> I, I don't know how to be me without my stage and so COVID has really been an identity crisis for me like I'm having a raging identity crisis Mm. and um, I think that the blessing from it all is it pushed me to find other ways in which to express myself And one of the ways in which um, I circled back has been film. So um, instead of doing my tour that I canceled because of COVID, I'm in the process of doing a short film, um, a hip opera. And, you know, that has been great. Uh, the graphic novel, you know, I'm in the process of figuring out how to uh, get that animated um, into an animated series. Uh, I haven't found any Black animators here in Jacksonville. Um, and so that's been a challenge. I, when I can, I, I, I work locally. And um, when when it's able and, the, you know, I... I try to support black business owners locally because um, that's just been a struggle here in Jacksonville for black people for a long time is getting their businesses off the ground and flourishing in this community um, that has been notorious for trying to, you know, impose white supremacy um, anytime uh, the black community is, is trying to accomplish something. And so I, I try my best. I do my best. To, to buy Black and to work with Black creators as often as I can. And so I'm currently seeking um, Black animators to try to like put that into motion. But like this is just a new, the, the more time that passes and the more the United States continues to get it wrong, the more that it becomes obvious to me that I may never t- return to the stage in the way that I imagined I would. And that's okay. Because I still have to find a way to be me and do me through it. So yeah, I'm I'm looking for amphitheaters, you know, to to do shows at. I'm looking for parks to to form partnerships with, um, so that eventually I can get back to performing. But when it rains or when it gets cold, I still have to figure out a way to get it out, get the art out of me. Um, and and that's I'm still unfolding. I'm still trying to figure that out. So we have talked so much about your work and the honesty of it. 
and how your story is infused into it. Will you please bless the audience with a couple pieces, whatever you decide? Sure. So this is what started uh, my career as an author, Secrets of My, well, as an adult author. I had written children's books before Secrets of I had written five children's books before Secrets of My. But um, yeah, thank you for the support. Thank yes, you. I have my copy. Um, I want to share um, the piece that started it all because we talked so much about it and some people have not heard it. Um, and it's called, I give offerings that are genuine. It's affirmation six. Um, and I had the opportunity to do this poem for the doctors who were taking a cultural competency workshop Mayo Clinic this month. And that was my full circle moment mm. to talk about what I've experienced as an HIV patient. And um, one of the qualms I had is the desensitization uh, of my doctors, of my medical professionals, that they, uh, the way in which that they treat me is not like I'm an individual or my diagnosis is specific and individual and my treatment is specific and individual, you know, um, they kind of once me over and then refill my prescription and keep it moving. I've never ever felt like my doctor was actually trying to cure my illness. And perhaps that's me being naive, but I go to see an infectious disease specialist. Mm. And I thought the purpose of seeing a doctor who specializes in infectious disease was because that they're going to use the information they get from me to research and try to figure out how my body is responding to the medication and what my body is doing and how I can get better, you know? And that's not what I've been experiencing. You know, they just make sure that I don't have any infections, um, that my medication's working, and then they send me on my way. And it's it's just a lot. Sometimes I don't even get eye contact, and it's a lot. You know what I'm saying? This is traumatic. Anytime I go to the doctor, it's traumatic. Anytime I have to get blood work drawn, it's traumatic. This is something that happened to me that I have to live with for the rest of my life, and it's it's not easy, you know? And one of the doctors, Dr. Andre said, you know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in uh, treating the illness that we forget to care for the person. Mm. And I'm sorry, Ebony. And thank you for being brave enough to have this conversation. I can't imagine how strong you must be to be able to have this conversation. And that was my full circle moment and it changed my life and it made my diagnosis purposeful because my whole, this whole time I've just been like, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? You know? And the reason is because the next time Dr. Andre is treating someone with an infectious disease, he will not forget to care for the person. And if it had to be me, because I, it's not because I'm strong. It's because, um, I've disciplined myself to be brave even when I'm weak. And because of that, I've been able to be brave enough to say that because if no one says it, you know, then how would they ever know? It's not okay to be treating us like this, you know? And I'm really thinking of the black women who were out here saving the world, who just happened to be HIV positive, who have to go in here to this doctor's office and feel un inhumane 
and human. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it's a it's a dehumanizing experience to be treated that way. And and it's affecting people that look like me. And I just wanted to stop. I want I want this stigma to go away from this illness. I want us to confront it and address it and deal with it. And I want it to be cured because nobody should have to take pills every day just to keep living. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the pills make you sick. So that's that's also it because people deserve to have quality of life, you know. And sometimes when I'm experiencing side effects at their fullness, it's it doesn't feel good. I have to I have to force myself to accept that this is my reality and I'm going to do my best to be here because there are people who depend on me to show up for myself today. And I'm going to take my medicine. I'm going to deal. I'm going to cry if I need to, but I'm going to keep going. And that's what this was. This was me crying because I had to. Deciding to be honest because it was necessary. And moving on because it was time. Hmm. And that's why it's the affirmation I give offerings that are genuine is because this was a genuine offering. And it was the only one my pen would accept because anything else would have just not been real. Um, Question. Was something you've never said out loud? Answer. I'm not sure of myself anymore. Question. Why? Answer. Shame which is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior, word association, humiliation, embarrassment, guilt, compunction, discomfort, ignominy, indignity. The secrets of a queen don't always share the same fate as Victoria's, some of them, to away at the core of us until we are hollow enough to follow instructions. Step one, smile often. Step two, Master the art of remaining private and public. Step three, if it's too personal of a question, change the subject confession. I've learned to swim through my tears. I've grown gills and learned to breathe through the depths of my sorrow. I will not drown here in liquor and self-pity. Mermaid me frankincense to anoint thin skin that had not yet learned to callous completely. My scales only occupy what's beneath me. The weight of my vulnerabilities is worn down my melanin. And even here, I don't fit in question. Is it better to feel everything or nothing at all? Answer, I am too sensitive. I am too emotional. I am too old not to be comfortable with these things. I'm too wise to believe you don't need to be sensitive or emotional when you're an oracle. Question, was something you've never said out loud? Answer, I had problems keeping my virginity. Question, why? Answer, love, which is an intense feeling of deep affection, word association, fondness, tenderness, warmth, intimacy, attachment, endearment, devotion, adoration. As a woman, I've been socialized to value my reputation more than my identity, as if I can control what people choose to believe of me despite confession. Someone told me something I said once changed their life. Confession. It made me jealous. If only the lessons I pour into a mic impacted my life the way they do the crowd. Question. Was something you've never said out loud? Answer. I wish I were famous. Question. Why? Answer. Validation which is the act or process of being at once relevant and meaningful, well-grounded or justifiable word association, reliability, legitimacy, authority, 
Confession, I've been writing stories for over 25 years and I still have the hardest time telling my own. Confession, I often choose to be alone and even that part of me is an illusion. I'm too spiritual a person to believe in seclusion. I keep the company of my thoughts. Frequently, they render me lost, which makes me awkward in social settings. And getting my attention is at times complex. Question was something you've never said out loud. Answer, I hate you. Question, why? Answer, you died and sometimes there are no words. At those times, the silence is heard louder than the scream. Some things aren't as audible as they seem. Confession, when I was a jit, I asked God to be a gift for my husband. I wanted to be a fantasy, a testament that dreams come true. Confession, I thought if people knew, they'd stop treating me like a present. Confession, I'd rather be protected than rejected. Confession, I push people away on purpose. Confession, this is the most personal poem I've ever written. Confession, I find myself seeking forgiveness when I have no reason to apologize. Confession, the phrase, I'm fine has become my favorite shroud question was something you've never said out loud quote for the record i still think about you being like you when i grow up more than anyone else end quote when i teach my intent is to lead by example sometimes i feel too dismantled to be of service to my students confession they disagree Rachel McKibben spoke to me about memory, and she believes we're designed to carry the things that remind us what's safe and what's not. Confession, those reminders are pretty much all that I've got. The closest you can be to someone is inside, which is why I hide when you want to be near. Question, why? Answer, fear, which is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Confession, I always thought writing about this was something I'd regret. Question why? Answer, I've tried for the extent of my existence to run away from being a statistic. I did not escape and that disappoints me. I do not want to be defined by my flaws. However, I cannot measure my character in applause. I am afraid of being judged, which makes me apprehensive about being loved. I find hugs rather uncomfortable. Question, what does it feel like? Answer, terror, fright, alarm, panic, agitation, trepidation, dread, distress, ebony. What's something you've never said out loud? Answer. I'm living with HIV. The silence has been killing me. Question, why didn't you tell me? Answer, pride, which is the consciousness of one's own dignity, self-esteem, self-regard, self-worth, self-respect, selfishness, honor. Any questions? Hmm. And from there, a book was written. Yes. <laughs> A whole book. <laughs> and that's also why it's called Secrets, Secrets of My Eye. Yeah. What was your journey in publishing your book? Um, one of my best friends, his name's Edwin Mackey. He goes by Mackey. He Mackey Creates. And uh, he told me that uh, I needed to publish a book. And I said, no. And he said, why not? I said, because my poems are all about me and I don't want to dry snitch on myself in a book, <laughs> you know? And he was like, Ebony, you need to tell your story. People need to hear your story. And I said, no. And then um, I said, no. And then I said, no. And then I didn't write for three years and I wrote this poem and I shared it with him. And he told me, Ebony, I want to publish a book. Mm -hmm. He had a, a media company called Adverb Inc. Um, 
which has now maturated into like a full on publishing company. Uh, and they even do like uh, card decks, black spades and all of that, where the face cards are all Egyptian royalty and stuff like that. Um, and so he was like, you know, let me publish a book. And he gave me a book, a book scholarship to publish my book, to write the poems and publish my book. And so I wrote um, and collect and collected some things I had already written. Um, I was inspired by um, a sister from Philadelphia named Janine Betu Kayembe. And um, uh, they had a tattoo uh, of, of my eye. They came down to hang out with me. Um, and uh, at the time, her pronouns were she, her, but now her pronouns are they, them. Mm-hmm. Her pronouns are now they, them. And so um, they came to visit me in Jacksonville. I was in a bad spell, you know, in a bad way. And uh, they told me about my art. They introduced me to the principles of my art, which are all truth and balance and wisdom. And they were saying that these are the governing principles the pharaohs used to uh, rule the people and to make sure everything was from a place of truth and justice. And so uh, I began saying those affirmations to myself out loud daily, 42 of them. I would say them out loud daily, you know, and it helped me, it helped me like stay on my square. And so they ended up planting a garden in Philadelphia in the middle of the hood. And then (laughs) it turned into this big deal. And now they go around the world planting community gardens, um, urban uh, creators. And um, they like, they're like, they let like Magic Johnson and everything. It's it's crazy. Like Philadelphia urban creators. Um, And uh, like, I was so inspired like that. I was like, ah, I'm going to do something with these affirmations. Look what these affirmations, look what they can do, you know? And so I I said, I would, I would, I would, I would. And then finally he says, I'm going to use this book scholarship. And I was collecting pieces and stuff for the book, but I didn't know what the book, it didn't have a direction. It was just poetry. Yeah. Um, And it started with that poem. And then that poem was like me revealing my biggest secret. You know, sharing my biggest secret with the world. And so I decided uh, to name the book Secrets of My Eye and to write poems for each principle, my poetic interpretation for each principle. And that's how that book was born. And -hmm. and that's what came of it. Uh, My homeboy Jody took the picture, this picture of me at Sex on Stage, which is a show uh, produced by Moses West in Jacksonville. Uh, Jody is a, he has his degree in sports marketing and he like at the time, you know, takes photos of like basketball players and stuff like that. He was in town for the show and he took a picture of me, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, I'm not even an athlete, you know? Like, uh, he was like, uh, you know, you are to me. <laughs> and so I used that, uh, for the cover with the filter on it, like, um, shadow, from Black on Black Rhyme. He was the president of Black on Black Rhyme. Put a filter on it. Just did all of, everything just fell into place magically. Shadow put a filter on it. He's the president of Black on Black Rhyme. Saw the picture Jody took of me at one of Moses' shows. Liked it. Put one of his filters on it because he's a graphic designer in Atlanta. 
he put a filter on it. And then Mackie, who is the publisher, the publisher, commented on the picture and said, yo, this should be your book cover. And, there and that's is. how it happened. <laughs> and I just it? happened to be wearing Ankh earrings. I was really just going to a show. I, this is what I wore to the show. And I was wearing Ankh earrings. And Mackie saw the picture was like, this is this clearly should be your book cover. And that's how everything fell into place. And then, uh, yeah, that's what happened. And then Mackie uh, ended up not even uh, putting it under his publishing company. He uh, showed me how to start my own. And the book scholarship actually um, went towards me going ahead and uh, becoming a self-published creator. Do you embrace being a self-published creator? I do because uh, my terms, my work, my terms. Uh, the drawback is uh, and maturation. It all comes with the more you grow, the more you know, the more you learn. Is nobody can do this alone. Thanks. And so uh, what I was doing was creating a situation where I would never need anyone. And I was thriving off of that. I don't need anyone. I don't need anybody to do my work, to do my art. And the reality is uh, my graphic novel is probably the last thing for a while that I'll self-publish. And it's because I can't, it, it takes away from other things. I cannot afford it at the level that I am right now. It's not, it, it's not fiscally sound for me to publish my own work. Uh, because I don't have a machine behind me to be able to do the things necessary promotion-wise to secure the success and return on the investment. Mm. You know, um, so in my graphic novel, I was going to tour with it, so that was going to make that make sense. But unfortunately, my my book tour got canceled, um, which was my world tour. That was the first time I was going to be able to see the world. I was doing an international book club, an international anime and comic book club. Um, with the random happenings and uh, COVID happened. And so it got canceled. And so now I'm sitting with it, you know, uh, the reality that, you know, I don't have the machine behind me to do the things that I could had I had a publisher and a strong backing, financial backing for it. Um, so like uh, advances, you know, I know they're loans and we're taught that loans are bad. It's not that loans are bad is that um, mishandling alone is bad, but alone can actually get you a leg up. One of the reasons why um, a lot of ethnic groups come to this country and are able to secure um, status, economic status, is because they're able to be approved for loans. And with loans, they can build empires. And then those empires will generate, generate enough income to pay back those loans so that they'll never need another loan again. And they become the lenders, you know? Um, but it's 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 learning experience. So now uh, the next book that I write, which is currently in process, um, actually two, I'm in the process of finishing one. I'm on the last chapter of one and then I just started another. Um, I will be seeking publishing for that because I can't do it by myself. And I'm 36 and I'm just now coming to terms with that. I can't do it by myself. I need help. I need a team. And I need an effective team. Now, my terms, you know, me forming that team can be on my terms. Sure. You know, but yeah. 
What has been one of your greatest mistakes in the journey of putting out your work? Um, trusting people I should not have. That my spidey senses told me not to. That my wise counsel told me not to. But my loyalty wouldn't allow me wouldn't allow me to release them. You know, I am very loyal. I grew up in Duval County, a street code, rule number one, loyalty. <laughs> your people got to be your people forever. Forever. You have to stay down. You have to stay down. That's that's what that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? They got to be your people forever, you know, and and that's what I wanted. I wanted everybody who was day one to come with me. But everybody that was day one wasn't always down for the cause. I had very humble beginnings. I had very broke beginnings. Mm-hmm. I had very low, lowly starts. You know what I'm saying? And at that time, you know, it's easy to stand over someone and be like, you can do it. Um, and I needed that. And so for what it was, it aided me. Mm-hmm. It helped me. And I'm grateful. But once I became uh, the woman I I grew up to be artistically, the creator that I became was someone who 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 once you hear it, once you hear the work, it's obvious, you know, that although I'm not wealthy, I I have a, a different type of wealth, and I have the potential to be wealthy you know, in the right hands and with the right guidance. And the people who could help me declined to. Mm-hmm. And that has set me back only because it crushed me. I felt like they, they crushed my microphone. Like I didn't, I didn't have the faith in myself enough to like pursue things. It just made me want to do it myself. I do it myself. Cause it's like, there are millionaires that owe me favors. That owe me favors, like major solids. You feel me? You know, uh, to sit in a room with people that could change your life with one phone call, but never would. It could make you feel like you whack, like your music isn't good, like your poetry is not uh, marketable, like your plays are not digestible to an audience. You know what I'm saying? Like could make you feel all of those things. And so what you do, you fall inside yourself and say, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. You know what I'm saying? And that just come from trusting, but people have been in my ear, like, uh, there's a reason why 2 Chainz said this, and it makes so much sense. You know, broke people should not be hanging around rich people. They tell you to level up, like, circle up, but that's intellectually. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you should always have other people smarter than you around, but broke people should be hanging around wealthy people, because the other reason they would be keeping you around is to use something you got. It's because they need something you got. Not because you need them. You feel me? Because they have enough money to protect them from people, needy people. You know what I'm saying? And if it was that simple, they would just write you a check. That's what they do with their family. They write them a check and move on with their day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you, they will feed off of you. They will feed off of you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because everything up in that tier, it becomes real fake. You know what I'm saying? The trees even feel cardboard when you get to a certain bracket. You did. 
And so they have to keep you because it's authenticity. It's authenticity. There ain't nothing realer than being poor and hungry and gifted. Hmm. You feel me? And so they feed off of that realness, you know? And, and, and that's what happened to me is I was, I was blessed enough to be surrounded by giants. That's how I became a giant. I was surrounded by artistic giants my whole life since I was a child. There are people I grew up with who had Grammys, millions of dollars, been all over the world that had not ever come back and asked me for, 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 for any type of feature. Have not come back and offered to put me on it anyway. You know, um, who, who owe me $20. <laughs> do you understand yeah it's a, yeah. Re- it's a reality like <laughs> and all i can say is blessings and i'm happy for you and keep going and make all your dreams come true because that's genuine that is a genuine offering is i don't want anyone to be poor especially if they black i don't want no black people to be poor ever you know but it can crush you it's devastating to know to know you have something special and for people to be in the room with you that could invest in that and could help that flourish and help you grow and that won't do it, that treats you like you're insignificant and don't matter, you know, that it changes you. It, it makes you cold in a way um, and it makes you hard in a way. Mm. You know, it turns you into a thug. You feel me? <laughs> Nobody care about me. It's just me. It's just me in this world. Nobody else. All I'm trying to do is provide for me and my daughter. Everybody else, everybody on their own. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it makes you feel. And it's just not true. It's mm. not true. That's just not my tribe. I have to find my tribe. I have to find my people. I have to find my circle where we're gonna all bubble together. And you know, and and that journey is gonna be a special one because it'll be full of integrity and, 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 and stardust. And from my experience, black women. <laughs> so that has been your your greatest mistake. What has been your greatest joy in your work and your writing? Um is is someone told me just the day before yesterday that I changed their life in a positive way. Hmm. And that is something that I hear often. And oh my goodness, I started writing to save my own life because when I was a little girl, I wanted to kill myself. And I buried all of my depression into my notebook. I started writing to save my own life. And so for it to be a, a regular affirmation from strangers, you changed my life today. Thank you. You saved my life today. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? It is It is uh, something I set out to do for me, multiplying into something I, I, I was able to do for my community. Mm. And that, uh, that's what I mean when I say all my dreams have already come true. I just wanted to matter. I only ever just wanted to matter to some way, some way, somehow. I just wanted to matter that I was here. And that lets me know that at first that I matter, that someone will never be the same because of something that I wrote down when I was sad. And um, something that I was able to heal from and I talked about that journey, you know, has aided someone else along their journey. Like, hands down, there's nothing like it. And I wouldn't change it. And maybe if those people had helped me, I wouldn't be writing the things that I'm writing because it would have been a different journey. It would have been, I wrote something and someone said it was brilliant. And Mm -hmm. then they wrote me a check Mm -hmm. and I'm here now. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I wrote something and I knew it was brilliant and nobody wrote me a check. But it changed somebody's life. But it changed somebody's life. And, and that that was my ashe. And, and by that becoming my ashe, eventually I got to write myself a check. And that's truly, that's truly my testimony. That's what happened is eventually I was able to produce my own five show series. You know, I, I wrote myself a check. And that and that's that's my truth. That's that's beautiful. I want to transition into a quick speed round. Then we're gonna do the last question. I'm gonna let you go because we we could be we can go forever. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so speed round, what's your favorite book? Oh, hands down, The Third Life of Grange Copeland by Alice Walker. Who's it your favorite author? Novel, Alice Walker. All right. I feel like we're going to just go with that theme. <laughs> what is your favorite song? Um, that's a tough one because music is my love language. Uh, so right now it's, 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 it's Kuwangoza. Um, which is the title track for my album that comes out on March 7th. Hey. And right now I have to say it's my favorite song because I, I wrote my testimony in a song. I wrote my testimony and my reality, you know, in the same song. And and I love how it came out. Name one MC that doesn't get enough shine. Queen Latifah. She was saying the things that women are saying now, then. 30 years ago, yeah. She was, she was, she was that black is beautiful, that I'm a queen, that, you know, women are the source, Mm -hmm. nothing don't move, put some respect on my name. She was saying it then, then, and they don't, they don't, oh, you know. But oh, I will sing her praises all day long. She's incredible. One lesson you want your students to take away from you? That it's okay to be flawed and imperfect and impacted by life's experiences. You don't have to be impervious to the traumas that you encounter just by being alive and, and being, um, being uh, vulnerable to the decisions of the adults who gave birth to you. Um, However, you can choose to become a quality product of that environment. You could choose to allow those traumas to build your character in a way that you can get through anything. And I challenge them to do that. One freedom you want Mahogany Rose to have that you don't have? To be happy, joy. Um, I struggle with depression. I've struggled with with depression since I was 10 years old. And um, it robs me of being able to enjoy some of the smallest things, you know. And uh, I pray daily, it's my daily altar ritual that Mahogany Rose does not suffer from that illness. That she has the freedom to be joyful, abundantly and eternally. Even if she has sad moments, it will not rob her of her joy. Mm-hmm. That is what I hope for my child. If you were a color, what color would you be? Pink is the color of vagina walls. 
Monet, Monet. I love it. <laughs> and what is your favorite sound? Birds chirping. But all right. So last question for the Black and Published interview. You have dedicated your life to telling story, your story or something that's been inspired through you. When you're dead and gone, what would you want somebody to write? What story would you want them to tell about you, your life and your legacy? Um, I just want them to be honest that, you know, I have been hurt, but I have also hurt people. I've been lied to, but I've also lied. I am an educator, but in many ways, I am also uneducated. Mm. And I am a mother, but I am also a daughter. Thank you, Ebony. Big thank you to Ebony for being here on Black and Published today. Make sure you check out Ebony's album, Kuwangoza. It is her sixth studio album and is her personalized oration of whole and complete stories dedicated to the Black women who paved the way for so many to speak freely through rap music. Kuangoza, which is Kiswahili for guide or lead, dives into the elements of hip-hop and how they influence the journey of a young queen inspired by DJing, MCing, breaking, and graffiti. The album is an honest account of triumph, insecurity, ignorance, and last but not least, knowledge. To deliver this work to the world is her way of being the change she wishes to see in it. It is also a full visual album, making it Ebony's first short film. It was directed by Miles Dante, and the film supplants an ancient Greek myth into an urban setting, subverting it to address poignant issues plaguing our patriarchal society. Punished and tormented for her beauty in the classic telling, the tragic character of Medusa is transformed instead into a heroic figure in this genre-bending, time-warping film about desire, betrayal, and female empowerment. I just want y'all to know I've seen the film and it is dope. So again, check out Ebony's album, Kuangoza. And if you're not following Ebony on the socials, follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Ebony Oshun. E-B-O-N-Y-O-S-H-U-N on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you liked this episode and want more Black and Published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Also, leave us a rating, a review, tell us who you want to hear on the show, give us your thoughts. You can also follow Black and Published at Black and Published on Instagram and Twitter. That's B-L-K- and published. And to keep up with me, head to newrights.com or follow me on the socials. I'm at Nikisha underscore Elise on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show for the week. I'll holla at y'all next time. Peace. Peace.